Welcome, everybody, to the Score Fantasy Football Live. We're doing this this week. I'm your host, Justin Boone, the lead fantasy analyst at the Score. Hopefully, this is something that we can continue to do every week leading into the season and maybe every Friday when we get, you know, injury updates and all that kind of stuff out there. But right now, we're coming up on the second busiest draft weekend of the year. I mean, I put a poll out, I think it was a couple weeks ago now, because I was curious when everybody's drafting of all the remaining drafts to go. Last week, I think it was about 5% of people. This week, it was about 25% coming up this weekend. And then everybody else waits until that final week. And this year, you might want to wait until that final week because we don't have a ton of information to go off of right now. It's such a strange season. We don't have OTAs. We don't have rookie camps. We don't have preseason games. So now we're just reliant on beat writers' opinions, some little bit of news trickling out from the teams, coach speak, quotes, that sort of stuff. It's making it very, very difficult on fantasy GMs. It's making very, very difficult on fantasy analysts as well. And the first few weeks of the season, it's going to be chaotic. I mean, we have to be prepared for that because now the preseason is essentially the first two weeks of the regular season. So we're going to have to be ready for that, ready to pivot when we see new things come out. And there will be things that come out that we didn't know about in training camp because a lot of these teams changed their media policies this year as well to make you know it very difficult for some of the beat writers, even the team reporters, to put out things like personnel groupings and the depth chart order and all of that stuff. So it makes it very, very difficult on us But that's what we're here for today. I want to go over a bunch of different things. I want to go over some of these training camp updates, some of the important stuff, kind of give you an overview. Now, I've talked about some of this on the podcast before, but today I want to kind of give you an overview. We'll go position by position and we'll discuss some of the big storylines that have come out from training camp. Then I want to talk about really draft strategy. I put out articles over the last week and a half or so of how I'm approaching drafts and I broke it down based on where you're picking in the round. So we're going to do that as well today. I'll talk a little bit of draft strategy, give you some players that I like in each round, and then we're going to wrap it up with a little Q&A action. And I really appreciate, big thanks goes out to everybody for all the questions that I get on Twitter. I mean, whether it's for the mailbag that we did for the podcast this week, whether it's for this show, whether it's just randomly questions that you're throwing my way, trying to get answers to help you build your teams. I love interacting. I love trying to help you win a fantasy championship. But really, I think the goal should just be to make the playoffs. Because we know in fantasy, a lot of people have great teams and maybe the best team in the league. And it doesn't necessarily end up being the team that takes home the title. So you just got to book your ticket to get in there. And then once you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. So I want to try to help you do that here. And like I said, we can start off with some of the things that we learned here from training camp. Some of these news trickling out. Um, And I'm going to try to go quick through this stuff because we've got a lot that I want to touch on. And to make it easier, I think we should break it down position by position, like I said, because then I can kind of tie it into my rankings and some of the rankings changes that I've made and all that sort of stuff. So we're going to break through on all of that. And I want to start off here with the training camp news. And we really didn't get much from the quarterback position. I mean, Cam Newton we knew Cam was going to be the starter. That They had like a farce of a quarterback competition there. But Newton's really getting slept on, in my opinion. Um, you can get him in the 10th round, even later. Uh, I think that's stunning for a guy that I know he's coming off 
uh, an injury-riddled season. He lost most of last year. The year before, down the stretch, he got hurt. I know he had the shoulder there. But let's not forget, in 2018, Cam Newton was the QB3 through 12 or 13 weeks of the season before he injured that shoulder. So this guy is an elite fantasy producer. He can absolutely get it done. Now you pair him up with a coaching staff that has shown that they're more than willing to scheme around the talent that they have. And I think some of the weaponry in New England is actually better than people give them credit for. Like Julian Edelman is a 90, maybe even 100 catch receiver. Nikhil Harry, you have to look at Nikhil Harry like he's coming in as a rookie this year because he lost pretty much all of last season. I know he came back at the end of the year, but he pretty much lost all of last season. So he's just learning at this point and you can't you know, really give him a hard time if he steps out of bounds in the end zone on a catch during a practice. Like, he's figuring that stuff out. He can be that big-bodied threat, that red zone threat for Cam. Mohamed Sanu is someone who, last season, I mean, Mohamed Sanu, once he got to the Patriots, he was banged up. He's an overqualified third receiver. He was that in Atlanta. He can be that in this offense. And then they got some interesting pieces, you know, an undrafted rookie in Jeff Thomas, these tight ends. Whatever you think about these rookie tight ends, and it's very difficult for rookie tight ends to produce for fantasy or in real life, but they're going to be better than Matt Lacoste. Matt Lacoste was a terrible Gronk replacement last year, so these are going to be upgrades on Matt Lacoste. The The backfield is interesting, and now we have Sony Michelle back. We'll talk about that in a second. So really, I think Cam is someone that I'm more than willing to target here, and a guy that has extremely high upside, and I don't understand why people are still kind of just letting that go by in their drafts. Other than that, at quarterback, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger seems to be healthy. So that is a, a very, very good thing because we know that Steelers offense can can bounce back at this point. Um, I I think, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about all of these guys as we go, but Deontay Johnson, um, you want to talk about Juju Smith-Schuster. I like Eric Ebron there. There's so many weapons in that Steelers offense. And Ben is kind of the, the cog that's going to keep it all together. And you can't judge based on what that offense did last year. I mean, the quarterback play that they had was terrible. So Roethlisberger is kind of intriguing, especially if you want to talk about stacking him. Um, you know, a, a late round guy that you can get with some of those other Steelers weapons. Um, it, it's going to be very interesting to see because if Ben can stay healthy, if that arm can stay together, we know how good that Steelers passing attack can be. Uh, now at running back, at running back, there are plenty of changes coming out. So let's try to touch on everything. Uh, Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon. We got some questions about them. These are high round picks, guys that you're going to have to invest big, big time draft capital to get. Uh, the contract situations, they're a little worrisome right now. And Adam Schefter came out, I think it was last week, maybe earlier this week. The days are kind of all wrapping together here. But Adam Schefter came out and said that he wouldn't take Dalvin Cook in the first round of his fantasy drafts. Now, that is concerning, absolutely. But then you have the Vikings beat writers, a bunch of them coming out, like Arif Hassan of The Athletic. He came out and said that actually after the contract talk stalled, uh, Cook took more reps in the next practice. And he's been extremely active in practice. So the beat writers don't seem to be that worried that Cook is going to sit out. And I'm still kind of confident that there's going to be a deal done there because we know these contract talks, even though they posture and they say that, 
absolutely the contract talks are not going on anymore. For sure, the agents are in touch with the GMs. They're still talking. They can hammer something out before the season starts. So we'll see what happens there. But based on how the beat writers are talking, I'm not nearly as concerned about this. But Adam Schefter is very plugged in. So we got to keep an eye on that situation as well. I'm still willing to take Cook in that mid mid to late first round. Uh, I'm a little more worried about Joe Mixon, though. And that's because... We have him missing practice with migraines. We have his coach, Zach Taylor, sort of just throwing out there, you know, I think he's missing time because of headaches. And this isn't to downplay that. Migraines can be very, very serious. That is a real thing that should be acknowledged. But this is very reminiscent of last season when A.J. Green, who was also, excuse me, also having a contract issue where he kind of had some injuries and then decided to sit out do we think that that's going to happen again here? It's definitely possible. So that's a little worrisome there um, that we've already kind of seen this where Mixon's not in camp with them right now. Will he come back? Maybe they hammer out a deal. Anything could happen here, but Mixon I'm a little more worried about because we're not getting sort of the, the positive vibes from the beat writers there at all. So that's a situation where I've moved Mixon down now to RB11, uh, more of a early second round pick there in my opinion. And I would rather, instead of mixing, I would rather have the Kenyon Drakes, and I know he's in a walking boot, we'll talk about that right now, but um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Josh Jacobs, I would take all those guys over Mixon right now. That whole tier is above him, just because I am kind of concerned. And then the problem is, there's not really anybody else to scoop up there. You can get Gio Bernard very cheap, but he kind of looked washed last year. So then you look a little deeper, Travion Williams is kind of an intriguing name. He was in my super deep sleepers column. Maybe you grab him with your final pick, but he's somebody that's probably going to go undrafted. So maybe a guy that you just put on your watch list and we see how this works out. But we know after the Le'Veon Bell thing happened uh, two years ago, we know that a guy like James Conner all of a sudden can come out of nowhere. Um, so we got to keep an eye on this stuff. But yeah, I'm, I'm willing to take Cook in that mid first round still. I'm not so interested in Mixon, but if he's still around in the early second to mid second, I'll jump on him there and take the risk. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who I just said is a guy that I would take over Mixon, all the reports about him are extremely, extremely positive. So I've moved him up to RB7. Uh, Just getting pieces of that Chiefs offense, guys who are attached to Patrick Mahomes, we're always looking for offenses that could be like that Peyton Manning Broncos year where they just absolutely went off and everyone in the offense paid off that year with Peyton throwing for 55 touchdowns. So this is an offense, and there's a couple this year. Uh, the Chiefs, the Cowboys, there's a couple. Um, but this is an offense where that definitely could happen. And we've already seen a rookie running back step in here and blow up. And, and that was Kareem Hunt a few years back. So it's not like this is unprecedented. So I really like Edward Hilaire as somebody who could jump in, uh, you know, as a, a mid first round pick and maybe crack that top five or even higher for fantasy. Now, I talked about Drake. We're monitoring Drake. We're monitoring Sanders right now. Drake was in a walking boot this week, but you know, the team, Drake himself, they didn't seem too worried about it. I mean, after all, he pointed out on Twitter that he said he's not worried about this. He was in a walking boot last year at this time and he was able to come back and he was fine there. So I'm not too concerned right now, but we got to keep an eye. Hopefully he can get back next week or the week after. and We don't have to worry about this in week one and see his practice availability and whether he's going to play. Uh, Sanders though, Miles Sanders is week 
to weak. And that one is a little more concerning just because the team has been so vague about it. It's a lower leg injury. It's concerning because if they're not telling us what it is, if they're calling it week to week already, it's not day to day, they're telling us that he might not be available week one. And I know there's been some reports, some team sources saying that he'll be there week one. I'm not totally willing to trust that one. I'm a little more worried there. So kind of the same as the last uh, thing I talked about there where I have Kenyon Drake as that mid to uh, late first round pick. And then I have Sanders more as that early second round pick. But I'm willing to still take chances on those guys just because the upside for both of them, top five, they have that kind of fantasy upside. David Montgomery, though, he got hurt and I had to drop him down a tier. Now he's got this groin injury. They're saying two to three weeks. I don't know if you saw the video, but it looked like he was in a lot of pain. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to make him miss more time, but it definitely seemed concerning. So I moved him down to the seventh, eighth round, closer to that Jordan Howard kind of range. And Montgomery, he's just not really somebody that I was excited about before this. And now the injury kind of moves him down into a spot where I don't know if I'm going to get him that many places. And then the problem with Chicago's backfield is there really isn't anyone else that's going to benefit here. You have Tariq Cohen, who has his role as a pass catching specialist. I don't think that's going to change. So then who's going to pick up carries? Ryan Nall. I mean, he might be your early down guy early in the season, but were we that excited about this Bears rushing attack to begin with? I don't know about that. So with Montgomery being out, it hurts him. There's not really somebody else to pick up. So I'm moving away from that. We got to talk about the Bills backfield though. Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, that split in Buffalo. Moss is getting a ton of hype. The beat writers in Buffalo absolutely love him. And Singletary, he's gotten a few headlines as well. He's been very overshadowed by Moss when it comes to the, the highlights and the headlines that he's getting during training camp. But there's been these negative reports about Singletary too. And mostly, you know, fumbling came out recently that he was having an issue with that. So right now, my outlook hasn't changed. It stayed the same. I think Singletary is going to continue to be the lead back. That's what the coaching staff, uh, the GM, that's what they've all said leading up to the season, all throughout the offseason, ever since they drafted Moss. Singletary is going to be the guy there. We saw him prove himself last year. We saw what he could do. In 12 games, if you put his on-pace stats over a full 16-game schedule, he would have been a top 15 fantasy running back. So he can get it done for us in fantasy. Now, Zach Moss gives you more than what Frank Gore can give you. But even if you take those Singletary stats and you pace them out over a whole season, you look at what else is there. You already had Josh Allen stealing goal line touches. You already had Frank Gore getting quite a bit of work last year. So we can give that to Moss and Moss will produce more with it. But I don't know that Moss is going to overtake him at least early in the season. Is it possible? Absolutely. And the more headlines we see like this where Moss is showing out in camp, it's definitely possible that could happen. And that's why Moss is a great late round target. You can get him in the eighth, ninth round. But I still think Singletary is a good guy to get. And it's not because he's going, you know, before in the season, in the, in the offseason, he was going in the third, in the fourth round. That was far too high. But if you can get him in the fifth or sixth and the more reports that come out like this, the further he's going to fall, maybe even get him in the seventh and he falls into that Jordan Howard, David Montgomery now kind of range. You get him in the fifth, the sixth, that's good value. You can get him there. He doesn't have that top 10 upside with Moss there because he takes away that potential big touchdown total that Singletary could have gotten if they didn't bring in another quality back. But Singletary can still be 
a decent back-end RB2 for you. Depends on your roster build. If Let's say you're picking, you know, you take a bell cow back early, you take an elite tight end in the second, then you grab a few quality receivers, and all of a sudden you come back and get Singletary as your RB2. I'm okay with that build. But if you're looking at Moss as well, I'm not going to talk you out of that because this guy has a ton of upside in that offense on a team that is going to win more games. I know I'm a Bills fan, so I have a bias here for sure. But this team has proven they're a playoff team. And one thing I like, and we saw this report come out too, is that they might go into these games and really scheme up guys individually. If they think they can take advantage on the outside, maybe Singletary will have a bigger week. If they think the, the defense they're going up against is weak in the middle, all of a sudden Moss is going to have a bigger week. So that could be a little bit frustrating for fantasy, but both these guys have some value. And if you have to pick between them, I understand if you want to go Moss and take the cheaper asset there, that's totally fine. I still see Singletary as a borderline to RB2 and Moss as that flex RB3, albeit one with some decent upside. Other than that, we're keeping an eye on some of these injuries right now. Uh, DeAndre Swift, he's really flashed in Lions camp and anybody who's been following me knows he was my top ranked running back in this class before the draft. Things change a little bit when we find out landing spots, but this is a guy that could be a star in the pros. He's got that Alvin Kamara-like quality. So I really like his chances here if he can stay healthy because he's missed a lot of time in training camp here. So that's a little bit worrisome as well. We got to keep an eye on that. But similar to some of the other ones, it's not at a point yet where we're overly concerned. Hopefully we get him back next week and we can get him back and, and ready to go before the season and we don't have to worry about that week one. Now, on some positive news, Sony Michelle returned to practice this week, and that one was kind of a surprise, actually, because at this point, we thought he was going to miss some time early in the year. And on the flip side, Damian Harris, the sophomore, was really showing out in camp. He's been getting all the praise from the beat writers, from the team, from the coaching staff, and not just as a runner, but as a guy who can do something as a pass catcher as well. And though Sony Michelle has those kind of qualities, the Patriots have never used him like that. So I'm looking at this one right now as both these guys, their value is going to be depressed because Michelle just came back. So there's some ambiguity there. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take shots on both of them in the late rounds. And Harris is the guy, based on everything we're hearing right now, Harris is the guy who I think has the best chance to start the season as the lead back with Michelle kind of spelling him a little bit. And James White will always be involved as the pass catcher there. But right now, I think Harris is the, the most valuable of those sort of early down guys in that backfield. And we know how valuable those guys can be in this Patriots rushing attack because we've seen it year after year. There ends up being these guys, if someone gets the bulk of those early down carries, they could put up a thousand yards. They can put up 10 touchdowns in this offense. So maybe Harris is that next guy who could do that kind of like LeGarrette Blunt or Ben Jarvis Green Ellis, if you want to go back even further. Uh, Harris has that kind of upside, but I'll take swings on both of those guys based on where they're going. All right, we'll, we'll keep moving along here on to wide receiver. And of all the updates that we had this week, and I just updated everything in the draft kit this morning, but the, the high-end wide receivers, there hasn't been that much movement in camp. There's really not much reason. There hasn't been any big injuries. We'll knock on wood with that. Um, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans in Tampa. I mean, the more highlights we see coming out of Tampa, more positive news about Tom Brady. I'm starting to feel like Tom Brady is just going to have that, that FU season in Tampa where he comes out and 
To go back to the Peyton Manning Broncos years early on when he got to Denver, Peyton kind of had that edge where he wanted to show everybody that he wasn't washed up, that he could still get it done. I think Brady might call his own number, passing touchdowns, not necessarily rushing touchdowns, but I think he might call his own number at the goal line and, and put up a pretty big touchdown total. So that's one thing that makes him intriguing. Now he has zero rushing upside, so that'll make it tough for him as a fantasy asset to crack that top 10 or you know top seven to get any higher than that because you really need 200, 250 rushing yards or a very high touchdown total from a quarterback to get into that range. So I think it'll be tougher for Brady, but that's kind of intriguing me about that offense, the more positive reports that we get. So right now where Godwin and Evans are going, I like that value in the the late second, the early third. I mean, if you start with the first overall pick, let's say you get Christian McCaffrey, you come back, maybe George Kittle falls at the end of the round, and then you can grab Mike Evans as your number one receiver. That's a very, very good start, in my opinion. Uh, Keenan Allen, I can't believe how low I have Keenan Allen ranked. I mean, he's the wide receiver 25 right now in my rankings. That is absolutely stunning. I don't think I've ever had him that low before, but the reason is this offense is a very slow-paced offense. This offense, I mean, with Tyrod Taylor under center, what are we expecting from them at this point? I'm not so sure that we're going to see big things from them. Uh, this year. So what I think is going to happen in this offense is we're going to see inconsistency now from those pass catching threats. One thing that could help early in the season is Mike Williams being hurt. We don't know how much time he's going to miss with the shoulder injury, but that might bump Keenan Allen up a couple spots. He might get a little uptick in targets early in the season, but overall, I'm not really investing in that Chargers offense because of the pace of play and the issues that they're they're going to have with that. Uh, C.D. Lamb is absolutely balling out as we continue to talk about the receivers here. It really makes me wish that he had been drafted by a team that needed him to be their number one because he goes to a team in the Cowboys that already have two great receivers, so they don't need him to be their number one at all there. And that's going to hold him back in year one because we're getting reports that he looks like a veteran. He's making all these plays in camp. This is a guy that could have come out of the gate and put up a pretty big season even as a rookie. Maybe he still will because like I said, the Cowboys are one of those offenses where everybody could pay off in that offense. We could have 3,000 yard receivers in that offense. It's not impossible there. It's one of the reasons why you should look at Dak uh, in the, you know the mid rounds. And we'll talk a bit about that when we get to the draft strategy stuff. But We'll see what happens because they also have Jarwin. You also have Ezekiel Elliott, but that defense isn't great. If they can get a lot of pressure up front, that might allow them to put up some some big, uh, you know, some big defensive days. But really, uh, I think we're going to look at an offense where those receivers are going to trade off weeks, and we're not going to see them put up uh, the biggest totals every single week. And that makes it tough to guess in fantasy who's going to put up the big days. Uh, Preston Williams is looking healthy. That's really positive. Uh, he's coming back from that torn ACL. I didn't think he was going to look this good at this point. I thought he was going to start off slow. So I'd bumped up some of the other pass catchers for the Dolphins. Uh, right now, all the reports we're getting, what we're seeing from them, what the, the highlights we've been getting out of camp, Preston Williams looks like himself. And if you remember last season, he was a guy that was leading the Dolphins in a lot of receiving categories before he actually went down. So if he gets back in here healthy, there's a chance that he could challenge Devontae Parker for the number one role in that offense. And Parker really had that breakout once Williams went down. That's when he started getting peppered with targets. So we'll keep an eye on this one. I've moved up Preston Williams to my wide receiver uh, 42 right now in my rankings. And if we continue to get the positive reports, he might move up even higher here and it might hurt 
Devontae Parker might move down a couple spots below maybe a guy like Keenan Allen or Mike Gusecki. I might start to take some of those other late round tight ends over him. Uh, Just to hit on a few more receivers, Jalen Rager reportedly crushing it for the Eagles. He's worth a pick in that eighth to ninth round range. Um, Another rookie, Justin Jefferson, he isn't looking as good, unfortunately. And the way that that's going to affect the offense is now it locks in Adam Thielen as a wide receiver one for fantasy. That target share is just going to be massive for him this year. And Justin Jefferson kind of falls back in the rankings. He might he might come on as the season goes along, but it looks like he's going to take a little more time to get acclimated to the pros. And one guy this could really help is Irv Smith Jr., the tight end. Because if Irv Smith Jr. can emerge as that de facto number two receiver in the offense, and that is definitely possible if Jefferson can't get it done, at that point, now Irv Smith Jr. might start to move up the rankings and be one of those guys who could have a breakout in the late round. So a very intriguing name there. And then a couple injuries just to touch on. The the 49ers receiver core, it's just a mess right now. Uh, Debo Samuel working his way back from foot surgery. Uh, Brandon Ayuk with the hamstring issue. Both of them could miss time early in the year. Uh, San Fran, they brought in just every veteran you could imagine. They tried the moat. They signed a bunch of them. Tavon Austin, uh, JJ Nelson, who actually himself has apparently gotten hurt now. Uh, Kevin White as well is in there. It's not looking good for that passing offense. What I'm seeing for the receiving core is Kendrick Bourne and Trent Taylor might have some late round value uh, early in the season. They might be the only real potential you know, fantasy assets in that receiving core uh, for however long Samuel and Ayuk are going to be out early in the season if they're going to miss time. Um, if you look at them, though, Bourne, very touchdown dependent. Trent Taylor, he's a PPR option, a guy who could rack up some catches. Neither of them is that exciting, though, unfortunately. Really, this is George Kittle's time to shine. If George Kittle ever wanted to overtake Travis Kelsey, this is the year to do it. This is the year for Kittle to get that touchdown total up finally and maybe challenge Kelsey for the tight end one crown. Uh, But it also makes Jarek McKinnon very interesting because he is getting a lot of praise in camp. And he's coming in. He's going to be the passing down back. And maybe a guy who could line up out at receiver and get some work there, especially with all these injuries. So McKinnon, definitely someone that I want to invest in in the late rounds. And then at tight end, there's not too much. It's just a lot of hype. TJ Hawkinson, Chris Herndon, they're leading the way. They're the guys who are getting shouted out the most right now from beat writers. And I like them both as late round targets and potential breakout guys. If you want to go really deep, there's a couple guys who are getting some hype too. Dan Arnold. Uh, Logan Thomas with Washington, uh, Dan Arnold's with the Cardinals. Uh, They could be some deep sleepers this year. They're not guys that you need to draft by any means, but guys who should be on your radar just in case they they really pop off early in the year. And then you can can pick them up. Maybe if your tight end doesn't work out, if you take a shot on somebody and they don't come through, you end up grabbing one of those guys if they start breaking out early in the season. Now, over the last week or so, I've released my draft strategy articles. Um, and for those, I think, I think they're very important because in those I'm laying out how I'm approaching drafts, uh, players that I like in each round. I'm talking about just general strategy of how I'm approaching each round here. And I think there's a lot to be taken away from that. I think they're really informative. And I also think it's worth mentioning here that one of the biggest mistakes I see that I think fantasy managers make is they base their opinions around one data point, whether that's something that they heard from a beat writer, you want to get a consensus. You want to have multiple people saying something, not just one person. And whether it's, you know, basing it around something in the fantasy world, like my rankings, you shouldn't just be drafting off of my rankings. 
if you're only using rankings, you're not going to be fully equipped uh, with all the information that you need in your draft because there's so many things that have to come into play. Tiers come into play. Draft strategy like this. Injury analysis. You want to look at all of this stuff so that you're ready to go and you're ready to adapt to whatever could happen in your draft. You don't want to go in with a rigid strategy. And that's kind of what I talk about in these articles. It's different players you could take at different positions, depending what happens along the way. So I recommend giving those a read. Uh, you could tr- check out our draft kit. I mean, in the draft kit, it, it, everything you could possibly need is in that draft kit. Shrank the schedule, offensive line rankings, the breakouts, all the usual stuff. But there is so much more in there. Uh, mock drafts, you could take a look at those. We just released another one this week. So take a look at the draft kit. It is 100% free. You do not have to pay a dime to take a look at that. And it can really help you. It's designed to be available on your mobile app while you're drafting. You can just jump through, whether it's rankings, whether it's tiers, whatever you need. You can bounce around in there during your draft. And it's very, very easy to use. Because you want to enter your draft prepared, right? You don't want to walk in just with that cheat sheet of rankings and go off of that. I think that's a mistake. Um, And you could really end up in a position at that point where a run happens on quarterbacks, on running backs, and you're just going off that sheet and you're not ready for it. So let's talk about just how I'm approaching drafts this year, because I think as far as just general strategy goes, I want to make sure that I'm taking at least one running back in the first two rounds this year. And you can take more than that. You can grab two running backs. That's for sure a way to go. But I want to make sure that I have at least one. And I'm not big on defining that, you know, I absolutely want to do something, like I said. But generally in drafts I've I've done this year, I've come away with at least one running back in the early rounds. And if I do, it depends where I'm picking at that point. If I'm picking late in the first round, and the more drafts that I've done... I've been actually really happy uh, with how my teams have looked when I'm picking in the late part of the first round. And at that point, normally I end up with two running backs, Um, whether it's, you know, one of those guys that I mentioned before, you grab a a Dalvin Cook and a Kenyon Drake, uh, a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Josh Jacobs. I would also throw, you know, Nick Chubb and Aaron Jones. I'm willing to grab those guys in the second round. I think that's a great strategy at the end of the draft, at the end of the first round. Because then the receiver position is so deep from rounds three to round six or seven, you can get so many quality receivers. And part of the reason is because the running backs are going so early this year, because there aren't a lot of great bell cow backs. That well dries up very quickly. Now, if you're picking at the beginning of the first round and then you come back around and maybe all those running backs that I just mentioned are already gone, that's when I'm starting to look at the elite tight ends. If Travis Kelsey's still there, if George Kittle's still there, the advantage you get from those guys having them, they can give you top 20 wide receiver numbers from the tight end position. So that is something that is very difficult to get, even though we're talking about how many late round breakout tight ends there are this year, that's very, very difficult to replicate. And those guys give you that that elite upside. So I would love that start. If you can get one of those top four, top five running backs and come back around and get an elite tight end, it's a great way to start. And then, like I said, you can hammer wide receiver for a couple rounds after that. You can get guys like Adam Thielen and Allen Robinson and DJ Moore and Amari and Juju. There's just, there's so many guys. There's so much value in that third, fourth round. And then it just depends what you did at running back. If you have two running backs at that point, you continue to hit wide receiver. If you only have one running back, then it's time. You got to look at one of those next tiers of running backs in there. Uh, I like DeAndre Swift. I like Mark Ingram, Cam Akers, Raheem Moser. 
Those are all guys that have significant upside that they can give you that you can get in the fifth, sixth round maybe, who I'm okay with having them as your RB2 in your lineup because like I talked about earlier, you're already going to be set at those other positions. If you're waiting on running back, it means you got those elite guys at the other positions. So that build is totally fine. I really like that one. And then after that, pretty much after that stretch, once you kind of have that running back thing figured out, it is all upside after that. So the Marquise Browns, the Will Fullers, the guys that have some risk, but also have those very high ceilings, tight end, guy like Tyler Higby falls into that. You know, if he falls to the seventh or eighth round, based on what we saw from him late last season, he is still risky for sure. It was a very small sample size, but what we saw from him last year, if he can give you 60, 70% of the numbers he gave it during those last five games of the season when he had 400 yard efforts and then 84 and a touchdown in the other game. If he can give you that 60 to 70% of that, he's still going to be a really nice pick in that range and a mid to high end tight end one for fantasy. So keep loading up on those guys with the upside, the guys who are potential difference makers, because in fantasy leagues, you want to finish first. We're not aiming to finish second or third. You know, you want to finish first. You need that dominant team. And at tight end, if it doesn't work out, you have so many guys you can fall back on, guys that might not even get drafted, like the Dan Arnolds and the Logan Thomases and the Greg Olsons and Tyler Eiferts, Dawson Knox. There's going to be so many guys that you can choose from there. And then for quarterbacks, my general strategy is if Dak or Deshaun are available in the seventh, eighth round, I'll go for them there. I really like those guys. They have a chance where they could challenge the Mahomes and the Lamars. They could put up those kind of numbers. Otherwise, if I don't get them in that range, if they go too early, and in most home leagues, they probably will. We have to admit that it's tough because in analyst leagues, everyone waits on quarterbacks. So you see a lot of mock drafts out there and you can't really judge off of those. That's why at the score, I love to have people from around the office. They're not necessarily fantasy experts. They're fantasy enthusiasts. They play in a lot of leagues, but there's people from our sales department, our marketing department, everywhere in the office, and you get a better feel for what your home league might look like. So take a look at our mock draft that we just did recently there. But at quarterback, if I don't get the the Dak or the Deshaun in that range, then I'm normally ending up with Carson Wentz. And you can get him in like the ninth round. It's a guy who, you know, he spent a year, two years ago where he was coming back from a knee injury, didn't run the ball. And then last year started running the ball again, finishes the quarterback nine, despite the fact that all his receivers got hurt last season. Pretty much nobody to throw to in that receiving core at the end of the year was relying on the elite tight ends, was relying on a, a pair of good pass-catching running backs and Miles Sanders and Boston Scott. And now he's going to get Deshaun Jackson back healthy, first-round pick and Jalen Rager there. He's going to have some guys to push the ball downfield. And he put up over 4,000 yards and 27 touchdowns last year with the guys that he had. So if he gets the, the guys healthy this season, we could see him challenge for that MVP potentially again. I mean, in 2017, that's what he was doing before he got hurt late in the season, if you remember. So he could get right back up there again if we get some better health in that receiving core. The problem is now their offensive line is dealing with all of these injuries there. So that might hold him back a little bit, but I still really like him in that ninth round range. And then after that, Matt Stafford, Cam Newton, you can get those guys in the 10th, 11th, maybe even later. Um, Stafford was on fire last season before he got hurt. Uh, Cam Newton, we already talked about. So those are guys that I love to get. And if you don't 
You could fall back on Gardner Minshew or Teddy Bridgewater. You could just stream the position. So don't worry. Try to find value as you go. And if you don't get it along the way, that's fine. We'll just stream as long as we have to. And maybe one of those streamers will turn in to your starter at some point. And then at tight end, if I don't take one of the elite guys, and I really want to take one of the elite guys, but if I don't take one of the elite guys and I pass on Higby, who I talked about in sort of the middle rounds there, I'm fine with these breakout tight ends. Hawkinson, Gasecki, Herndon. Jonu Smith, uh, Blake Jarwin. There are so many guys in that range. You take your favorite at that point. Maybe even take two of them. I don't think you need to because I think there's going to be guys who are going to be available on the waiver wire, like I said. But you can get one of those guys late and see if they blow up for you early in the season. And if not, just recycle and find somebody else. You'll be able to pivot to the waiver wire at tight end. I promise you that. There's like probably 25 tight ends who you could start in fantasy this year. All right, let's jump over and do some of these Q&A questions here. And like I said, I appreciate everybody sending in questions. There were so many coming in. Not going to be able to get to them all, but we'll get to as many as we can here. At Tyler Menzinger, full PPR league, I feel I can't leave the first two rounds without an RB. Do you agree? Or would you be comfortable taking RBs after the first three rounds if you need to you're the man. Thanks for all you do. <laughs> I appreciate that, Tyler. Um, I'm not locking myself into any strategy, and I kind of talked about that already. So it's possible that I could even go Michael Thomas and Travis Kelsey if the draft falls a certain way for me, and I decide I'm just going to throw caution to the wind and try to pick up running backs later. Um, that can happen. That is possible. But normally, I do want to end up with at least one bell cow back so that I'm feeling confident in that spot. And then I can try to work on finding that value and get a solid RB2 later, like some of the guys I mentioned. And at worst, if you're smart about it, you normally during the year can find at least one startable RB2 on the waiver wire because we see all the injuries, the turnover that happens at running back. Now we're adding in a pandemic, the COVID year, things are going good so far with the NFL, hasn't been that many outbreaks. But during the season when these teams are going up against each other, we might see more guys hitting that COVID list. So keep an eye on that. It could make running back turnover or running back kind of chaotic this season. Um, and yeah, I, I think you're going to be able to find an RB2 on the waiver wire at some point in the year if you're aggressive on the waiver wire. So stay flexible. But yeah, I would hope for at least one running back in the first two rounds. At Matt Brennan, in home leagues that include a couple other sharp drafters, does it make sense to go after your guys based on sharp ADP rather than trying to wait using default ADP? This is a great question, Matt. I think you have to strike a balance. So if you know you have or I have Anthony Miller ranked as, let's say, a borderline wide receiver three, a guy who could maybe an eighth or ninth round value, but his ADP is in the 11th or 12th, I would wait and just jump up like a round ahead in the 10th or so and get him. I wouldn't take him all the way up in the eighth because I think you're losing out on value at other positions if you're doing that. So I think that would be a mistake. I think you got to kind of find the balance and the sweet spot. And you're taking a risk that somebody else might jump up and get him in that range. But if that happens, I wouldn't worry about it because I would rather have that happen than lose out on the value that I could get in those earlier rounds um, just because I'm jumping up and getting guys who I really feel strongly about. Because guess what? We can be wrong. I'm wrong. You're wrong. We're wrong about some of these takes we have on these guys. So you don't want to go all in and invest like that and lose out on potential value. At Doc Brackenreed, 
Should we be downgrading the rookies across the board due to the unprecedented nature of this offseason? What second-year guys are going to shine after quiet rookie seasons? Jay Sternberger, Mikkel Hardman, Daniel Jones. So we got a couple questions here. The first one, it's hard to answer because it's really case by case. I don't think that you can apply just a blanket statement to all rookies, especially now that we've seen some of them in these training camps and we're getting these reports. Now we know at least a little something about who's ready for the moment and who isn't. Uh, Running backs tend to have an easier time translating to the pros. Uh, Tight ends, for example, that learning curve is normally a couple years. We often don't see them produce for at least a couple seasons. But that's why we need to stay on top of these practice reports. That's why we need to see who's shining, who's fading away. And I mentioned a couple earlier, you know, Jalen Rager stepping up, uh, Justin Jefferson falling behind. So, no, I I wouldn't be downgrading the rookies just as, you know, sort of an an all-around approach. I'd be looking at it on a case-by-case basis. And then looking at some of those second-year players that you talked about, I'm not really that high on Jay Sternberg. I mean, they've talked about Robert Tanyan potentially getting work as the number one there. So that's not really a vote of confidence in Sternberger. Uh, Miko Hardman, I love, and that's one of those upside picks, right? You're getting him now. But maybe you get an injury happen ahead of him, and all of a sudden he blows up, and he's a big-time talent for you. And Daniel Jones is one of my breakouts, potentially, at at quarterback this year, uh, just because of all the players that he has there in that offense. He's loaded with weapons. If one guy goes down, he's got so many other options to throw to. And we saw last year a very high ceiling from him, a guy who could throw you know, four touchdowns in a game. He did that on multiple occasions last year, so... We'll see if he can do it again this year. I know his schedule is very difficult early in the season, um, but somebody who could definitely have a great year at quarterback there. At Dabadas Lee, would you be worried starting two rookies if you take CEH in the first and Taylor in the fifth? I wouldn't be worried at all. Uh, Those two, next year at this time, we might be talking about them as top five fantasy backs. Like the ceiling is really that high for them. Um, Their upside just absolutely massive. So I don't have any concerns. Uh, If you're talking about, you said Taylor in the fifth, I highly doubt that's going to happen. I don't know what league you're getting Taylor in the fifth, but if you're getting Taylor in the fifth, absolutely jump on him all over there. Uh, At C. Hebes, do you really think Jonathan Taylor is worth the ADP? This kind of ties into the last one. I'm not sure he gets the usage with a loaded backfield. Yeah, so I, I definitely think that he's worth the ADP. I would take him all the way up in the third round. I wouldn't be shocked if he snuck into the late second. I think I would even be okay with that. I think that's where he's going to be valued at the end of the year. Um, Naheem Hines is going to siphon some touches away for sure. Marlon Mack, I know he's going to be involved early in the season probably, but even after Mack had a thousand yards last year, they still used an early second round pick on a running back. Like that tells you everything you need to know. Taylor was the best pure runner in this draft class. You're putting him behind the best offensive line in the league. We're already hearing about him breaking long runs in practice He's going to show out if it takes a game or two and he starts to stand out and be, and he's the hot hand and he starts to move ahead of him there. Um, maybe it'll happen there. Maybe it'll happen in the next week or so in practice. And by the end of the se- uh, by the end of the, the preseason here, uh, by the end of training camp, uh, he's the guy going into week one. Cause I saw, and this is narrative based completely. Um, and we shouldn't just be going off of this, but to add another little tidbit to it, I saw an interview with Marlon Mack and he just kind of seemed like a guy, he seemed a little down he seemed like a guy who knew that he was losing his starting job, which is unfortunate because he did play pretty well last year. But Taylor, the ceiling, Taylor could just do so much on a football field that Marlon Mack 
cannot. And I'm very excited to see it. Um, and right now, I think you're getting them at a great value if you can get them in the fourth and if you definitely if you can get them in the fifth. At R. Bondily. Hi, Justin. Huge fan of your work and thanks for the advice. Can you please quickly suggest to me who is the best player to pick at second overall in standard and PPR leagues? I'm struggling to pick between Barkley and Zeke. Well, it's close, but in standard formats, I have Zeke. Um, the touchdown upside there, um, you know, you don't have to worry as much about the receiving numbers, but everywhere else I'm taking Barkley and it, it is the pass catching ability. I mean, targets for running backs are worth like twice as much as carries when you talk about what they're producing. Uh, Barkley too, we got to remember Barkley was hurt last year. So his numbers dropped a little bit, but the year before it's a guy that caught 91 balls as a rookie. So don't forget about how good Barkley could be. We might see him take uh, take the crown, the fantasy running back crown, away from CMC this season. Uh, at Bro Name Thunder, I noticed your projections don't match your rankings. Do you rank based on how you draft, or do you rank to have the highest uh, probability to be first in the Fantasy Pros Rankings Contest? This has always intrigued me about rankings. You're awesome, by the way. Most of my league mates use your rankings. So I'm just looking for an edge by knowing your process. I appreciate that. That was actually over two tweets, it looks like. So thank you for that. Um, so projections and rankings, they are not the same thing. And I won't spend too much time on this because we could probably do a whole episode just on this. But projections are more math-based, um, you know, more based on my model. Uh, they give me sort of a foundation to start from. And then from there, you take the rankings and you apply my knowledge of, you know, the latest news, the injuries, uh, you know, past situations that I've been in that have, you know, burned me or maybe helped me, the stuff that you've learned along the way, uh, you start to add all of that in and all of that goes into the rankings. So no, they don't end up being the exact same. They're close, but they don't end up being the exact same. So I guess if you want to break it down simply, it's the rankings are more math-based, uh, or sorry, the, the projections are more math-based and the rankings are kind of more personality, I guess there's a, you know, a little bit of both, maybe math and personality when it comes to the rankings. And then for drafting, I'm really not just going off of either. Um, and I think that would be a mistake. And I think you probably have gleaned that from what I was saying earlier. Um, I, I can't be locked into a single document when I'm drafting because there's times when I'm going to feel like I need more upside. There's times when maybe I took too much risk in the early rounds and I want a guy who has a higher floor in the middle rounds who can kind of mitigate some of that. So there's a lot of situations that you have to adapt to uh, in a draft. You, you can't, whether it's, you know, a run at a specific position, you got to be ready. You got to be flexible uh, for whatever comes in a draft. And I get a hard time all the time. We do mock drafts at the score. I get a hard time for not going directly off my rankings. And I got to explain this to everybody there that you can't just go off rankings at certain times. You might want to take guys for a variety of different reasons. So that's okay. And fortunately for you, you know, you can take a look at all of the stuff that we have in the draft kit, right? And you can go off all of that. You can sort of do the research and build up that knowledge so that you're ready when you get in your draft uh, to make those sort of adaptations and figure it out along the way and, and make those switches as you go. Uh, at Tyler underscore Eddie 11, who are tight ends you target outside of the top four or five? Don't know if it's better value to draft a top guy or to wait? Uh, well, Eddie, don't hate me for this one, Eddie, but I'm actually not going to answer your question here. Instead, I'm going to tell you, go check out, we did a bunch of position preview episodes uh, in the last couple of weeks here. Tight end was the last one that we did. And we talked about tight ends for like 
50, 55 minutes about all the guys that we like at that position, some of the guys that we don't like as well. So I would recommend just going back and listening to that episode of the podcast. And we did that for every position. So you can check those out, quarterback, running back, wide receiver. And we had some great guests on to go over those with us. So uh, those are some of our most listened to episodes of the podcast every year. So I think they're very helpful for people. And I think you can go check those out. At RJNEU343, has the Le'Veon Bell hate gone too far? I'm able to consistently grab him in round four as my RB3 in 12-team PPR drafts. Healthy Darnell, improved offensive line, lost 10 to 15 pounds, feels like he's being drafted at his floor. Well, I don't know if we can say that he's being drafted at his floor because with Adam Gase as his coach, I mean, we don't really know how low his floor could be. Um, would it shock anybody if Gase just threw Bell on the bench? Like anything could happen here right under Adam Gase. Um, I think if, you know, if this backfield goes the way I expect it to, um, one of my bold predictions has kind of been that Le'Veon Bell could get traded at some point here. Cause it seems like they, they're bringing in more backs. I mean, they brought in Kalen Balaj. It really seems like Adam Gase does not like Le'Veon Bell, no matter what he says. Um, there's just constantly friction there and there's friction with Gase and a lot of his players, unfortunately. So uh, I would like to see Le'Veon Bell get out of New York at this point. But if you're looking at him, yeah, the fourth round isn't bad for him. It's a guy who finished as a top 20 back last season, despite all sort of the, the chaos around him in that offense. He had Sam Darnold with Mono missing time. He had a terrible offensive line, really a, a bad offense all around. And Le'Veon Bell was still able to produce in PPR leagues. You know, he has that receiving upside. As a Bills fan, I saw Frank Gore firsthand last year, and despite all these reports, I don't think Frank Gore is going to be able to give them that much. Um, I am actually a little intrigued by LaMichael Pirine. I think if Bell got hurt or got traded, we'd see LaMichael Pirine step up and, and work his way at least into a timeshare with Frank Gore. So keep that in mind if that bold prediction of him getting traded actually happens. Um, but I see Levin Bell. He's not that top five guy anymore. He doesn't have that elite upside. But he's a volume-dependent RB2, and if you're getting him in the fourth round, that's not terrible value. I would take him there. The one concern I have, though, is everything we're hearing about that team right now in training camp is just awful. I mean, the offensive line, they brought in some new pieces, but it seems like they're having trouble coming together. Uh, the receiving core, there's injuries across the board there. So there's a lot of worries about that Jets offense, and that might want to make you think twice about investing in any of the guys there for fantasy this year. At BK Hartman 21, what are the odds Aaron Jones loses goal line touches to AJ Dillon? Also, is it a bad idea to take Jonathan Taylor, James Conner, maybe Todd Gurley over Le'Veon Bell given their upside? Well, I don't anticipate Dillon taking goal line work. Um, really, I think that the Jordan Love and the AJ Dillon picks, they were more for 2021 and beyond. I don't know how much those guys are going to have any impact. Uh, this season, obviously, Jordan Love, not even looking that great in camp right now, but Jordan Love's a, a long-term play. And I think Dylan kind of is too, in case they don't bring back Aaron Jones. If Dylan fares well in camp, and right now we haven't really heard that much positive about him, if he fares well, I think he eats more into Jamal Williams' uh, workload than he will into Aaron Jones. So I think people are kind of sleeping on Aaron Jones because even, I know regression's coming for the touchdown total, but even if his number's cut in half there, um, he would still be an RB1. Like he would still be a back-end RB1 with, you know, nine or 10 touchdowns. He had 19 last year. He's not going to repeat that. Just ask Alvin Kamara, who the year before 
Alvin Kamara had 18 touchdowns and then last year went for a stretch of nine games where he didn't even find the end zone. So the regression definitely comes. It's going to happen for Aaron Jones, but he could still score 10 touchdowns and be a fine fantasy asset, an RB1 and a value in the second round, really. So I'm still happy grabbing him and I'm not that worried about A.J. Dillon. As for the other backs, I mean, my latest update came out on Friday morning. Uh, I have Taylor and Connor over Bell. Uh, I'm fine with that. Gurley... I'm not that excited about in half PPR or full PPR. I mean, because his passing down role, it could be limited. That's what the Rams did to him last year. And Brian Hill keeps getting talked up during camp. So, you know, as his backup, Brian Hill, he's gotten a lot of praise from the coaching staff. I think maybe he could step in and take some of those passing down snaps from Gurley. And maybe that's an area where Gurley gets held back. So uh, unlike Frank Gore, I mean, I know we're talking about this with Bell. It's kind of a similar situation, but I think Brian Hill could actually give you more than Frank Gore could at this point in their career. And that's all respect to Frank Gore. The guy's a legend, but he's just not a fantasy asset anymore. Uh, at Pena, 7220182. Ton of numbers there. Hi, Justin. Who's a sleeper DST you'd grab that has a great early schedule? Uh, I'm not sure if they still qualify or not, but the Colts are one that I'm taking for sure. They open with the Jags, the Vikings, uh, the Jets, the Bears, the Browns, and the Bengals before their week seven bye. That's about as nice of a start as you're going to get. They added DeForest Buckner. Could be a much more menacing unit this season. And I think that team's going to win a lot of games and that'll help the defense too. At Morales Rooston in a two QB league, do you, uh, with CMC or Mahomes or Lamar with the first overall pick? So do we take CMC or Lamar or Mahomes with the first overall pick? I'm going CMC. That's also because I tend to wait, even in Superflex two quarterback leagues, I tend to wait and try to find value at quarterback as it comes down. And I've had a, had a lot of people ask me, you know, why I don't do Superflex rankings. I don't know that they're that helpful. I think the problem is Superflex and two QB drafts they're all so different that I don't think you should be looking at those rankings and just picking quarterbacks where I have them ranked there because drafts, they can vary wildly where quarterbacks go. Um, so I think you just kind of got to feel it out in your draft and figure it out there. And I don't think you can really just go off rankings there. You can take a look at all the content that I have at my rankings, my tiers and everything to get a gauge, you know, look at the tiers, especially which quarterbacks are still on the board, where can you find value, and take a look at that. But for me, I'm still going CMC number one overall. Even if he doesn't finish as the number one running back in fantasy this year, he's a guy, he's the odds-on favorite to be the guy that puts up those kind of numbers. That is all for today's show. That was the last question that we had on the list here. Uh, remember to go check out the Score Fantasy Football Draft Kit. Uh, that is free. It is updated daily all the way until week one kicks off. Uh, you can check out some of the articles that I mentioned during this episode. I mean, the draft strategy article, they can really, really help you. Um, you know, the other stuff in there, the usual stuff, the breakouts, the busts, players who are going to lead you to a title. That's one of my favorites to write every year. If you got more questions, come find me on Twitter at Justin Boone. Hopefully we can make this a regular thing and we'll keep doing this every Friday, even going into the season. And we can give you some injury updates on Friday afternoons as we go. Uh, but until then, I mean, big thanks for all the questions. Big thanks for tuning in here. And we'll see you next time. Said leave on time. My baby said leave on time. Leave on time with me tonight. I said leave on time.